Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome back to the Statman Dave Football Podcast. This is episode 71. Big apologies on the uh, upload schedule over the last few weeks. Things are just getting a little bit busy for me right now in my life. Um, you know, I've done some great stuff with the FA, um, got some interesting things in the pipeline as well. So it's just been a bit busy and unfortunately unable to stick to the daily schedule, though this week we're going to do daily and we're also going to do a special on Friday previewing the Champions League. Nico's going to join me. He doesn't even know that yet. He's already. He's just been invited, and he's news gonna to have me, to accept so now. It's news to me now, so that'll be wonderful. Of course, um, as always on Monday, Nico is joining us. Last week, Nico did join us as well, but unfortunately, some idiot messed up the recording. Nico, was that you, Dave? I'm not usually the one that records your podcast, yeah, so it's weird, isn't I think it? the only one left as part of the equation here, um, folks, is is actually Dave. He he's mm. the one that messed it up. Yeah, it was a bit annoying. Kind of one of those moments where you wanted to punch yourself right in the face. And that's happened a few times over the last week. I think I need a holiday and that is going to happen. But anyway, let's do the news. So first up, Huddersfield Town have been promoted to the Premier League. A massive upset considering their their goal difference this season. But the style of football is there, Nico, right? Yeah, we've seen some great things uh, from David Wagner, especially um, even in the performances against Manchester City this season. You know, we all know how exciting Huddersfield has been. Um, David Wagner being an acolyte of Klopp, it's definitely going to be interesting to see, first of all, whether he stays, which I hope he does, and I think he probably will. Um, But also, you know, those two styles sort of clash um, in the Premier League. It's going to be interesting, and it's another great coach that the Premier League has added to its sort of roster of great coaches that it has right now. Ever-expanding roster of great coaches. Moving on to other great coaches, Valdeverde has been confirmed as Barcelona manager. That is broken this evening, which is it's a real interesting one. Me and Nico did speak about that. How um, would it exactly suit the Barcelona model now? Bilbao being quite a uh, you know wing-orientated crossing team. How do you think Valdeverde is going to um, you know shape up in the summer, Nico? Do you think there's going to be some big signings brought in? Yeah, I think there will be a few signings to sort of maybe. I'm not exactly sure, you know, that he'll he'll play very similarly to the the style that he played at Athletic Bilbao. I think a lot of people are taking this maybe is not the best um, signing considering 
there are rumors that people like Tuchel are are available. Someone like Yardam is available. Someone like um, Lucien Favre is even rumored to be available. So a lot of people not necessarily agreeing with the decision that someone like Valverde should be appointed as the the new manager of Barcelona. But I think one of the things that we have to look at is he came up with a style and and sort of augmented a style that fitted or suited his players best and the players that he was able to get through the transfer market, you know, players like um, Raul Garcia and Iñaki Williams and those guys that he either developed or or was able to get in the, in the transfer market. And I think that's a mark of a good coach, not necessarily one that blames his surroundings, but the but ones that adapt to it. And so maybe, and I hope so, I think we'll see more things like that from Valverde when he's given more players to work with, you know, the best player in the world uh, in Lionel Messi and, and players like Neymar and Luis Suarez and some talented midfielders in there as well. So I, I think we'll see some adapta- adaptation from him because I, I think Barcelona, in, in terms of managerial decisions, have always, um, or at least in the recent history, made very good decisions. You know, not a lot of people knew Luis Enrique um, that well before he popped up at Barcelona he's, he's turned out to be you know a very a very tactically astute coach and also one that can manage a, a variety of different problems so I think I think it's a good appointment and people need to sort of calm down with the other the other managers mm, yeah, it's an interesting one Valdeverde one of the things I read about um, I think last week in the Guardian article was he, he is a big fan of the, the Rondons so you know will fit perfectly into Barcelona and then some of the Barcelona news of course Lionel Messi wins the golden shoot for the fourth time in his career, you know, not, uh, you know, of course we're expecting that. In other news, it's about legends, legend news right now. Lionel Messi, one legend, to another legend, and that is Francesco Totti, who has retired from football. A sad day for everyone involved in the footballing world. Moving on to some other news, some other legends or non-legends at Arsenal. Tony Adams saying some pretty interesting stuff about Arsene Wenger in an interview. He's on eight eight million pounds a year, but the junior coaches at Arsenal are on thirty grand. Take seven million, Arson. Give them all a raise. It's not like he's using the money to throw lavish parties for his friends because he has none. That's pretty scathing from a player that learnt a lot under Arsene Wenger. Won titles under Arsene Wenger. Tony Adams again, just being a bit of a muppet. But Arsene Wenger is defiant as always, and is currently about to sign a new two-year deal. Over to Arsenal Fan TV for that one. In other news, over to Germany. Apparently, BVB, Borussia Dortmund are going to be letting Thomas Tuchel go in the summer. A massive fallout with the club. Something that me and Nico have been chatting about for you know weeks and weeks on end. Obviously, Wenger signing this two-year deal is bad news for Arsenal. Not been able to get Thomas Tuchel right now. Other Dortmund news. Apparently, Aubameyang this evening has uh, signals and intentions to leave Dortmund. Would you like him at Manchester City, Nico? Yeah, I think he'd be a good fit for a lot of teams. He makes some intelligent um, decisions in terms of uh, movement off the ball, and he can obviously, uh, you know, threaten the goal. Uh, in in a lot of different ways considering his pace and then like I mentioned obviously the ability to get into the box. Um, One of the things that sort of my Borussia Dortmund correspondent tells me is that you know a lot of the goals that Thomas Tuchel's system creates were sort of tap-ins for Aubameyang and although he did well a number of times and he offered that ability you know to scare the back line and to play maybe playing a little bit deeper maybe um, you know lulling them into a sense of security playing lower and then exploiting that with his pace um replacing someone like him wouldn't necessarily be the toughest thing in the world I think for Dortmund but at the same time it's a big loss and he's a uh, you know could be a big addition to to wherever he goes 
Mm, staying in Germany, Philipp Lahm is the first player since Oliver Kahn in 2008 to be inducted into Bayern Munich's Hall of Fame. Definitely deserves it. Another player that uh, finished his career last weekend. In terms of transfer news, some final transfer news. Ander Herrera has rebuffed Barcelona's advances, advances and committed his future to Manchester United, which, of course, we've not touched on on the podcast. The Europa League final, the 2-0 win over Ajax. Man United 2, Ajax 0. Nico, I want to get your thoughts on this. Because once again, it showed pragmatic football is the way forward. I'm not sure we can both come to that agreed conclusion, but it was definitely a pragmatic performance. There was really never anything in doubt for Manchester United with the way that they really approached the, gra- the game. And I mean, as, as much as the media wants to lament someone like Jose Mourinho and his tactics, you know, not necessarily taking the onus and, and putting the onus upon his team to create chances and, and go out this relatively young Ajax team, um, at the same time, you know, the, the strategy he employed was one that won them a game without any threat of Ajax coming in. I mean, for as good as they were, and I really don't think they were as bad as people say they were, but for as good as they were within the first 15 to 20 minutes, um, I th- like I said, I think Jose Mourinho set up in sort of a defensive ribcage formation that not only stifles the creativity of the person on the ball you know their ability to pass or their ability to dribble but it seems to shut off the options around that it just seems like Mourinho is sort of approaching an ultimate defensive system and one that really would do well in stopping Pep Guardiola's uh, form you know forms of chance creation we know how he likes to overload the wing areas and and when certain players get possession you know it's really the perfect uh formation and, and sort of tactical style to counteract these teams that are so attacking now Pep Guardiola not the only one that's playing a front five so yeah I can lament the style of play and say it's not the most exciting but hey it got the job done right mm, that's the big thing it needed to get the job done it was ever everything was on this game it was a success or failure dependent on the result I think what you know they mentioned on YouTube about the tactical setup how impressive that United were that they didn't sit back so far that they actually held um, Ajax in a medium block on the halfway line and they cut all the options off in midfield they went man to man in midfield very very tight um, and they played a very high line because Ajax didn't really have a threat in behind Dolberg comes to the ball Traore comes to the ball and of course uh, Eunice comes to the ball so there was nothing in behind so they could play a high line compact that space and it was the first time that we've seen Mourinho actually do that um, in one of these bigger games, we've seen a lot of him sitting back in his back six shape and looking, you know, giving the opposition the, the ball in the final third. In this game, he took the game to Ajax, and Ajax had it in the middle third and failed to create anything. And of course, Maron Fellaini was the big man of the game. It was, it was so, so, so impressive in an aerial sense. He won if 15 it. aerial duels. That's two more than the entire Ajax team managed combined. And of course, it was that direct ball that got United into the opposition's half and pushed them forward. How impressed were you by Maron Fellaini, Nico? A player that's been hammered by United fans. Yeah, I think, you know, like I've said a, a multitude of times, someone like Myron Fellaini has a discernible skill set. And obviously being direct and maybe you don't necessarily have to, maybe if uh, Manchester United moved for someone like Griezmann, who has less of a physical, you know, natural ability to bring the ball down when United want to play a little bit more direct, someone like having someone like Myron Fellaini on the field that can definitely hold his weight defensively, but also contribute in an attacking sense by um, being that direct outlet so far up the field, you know, sort of bypassing the midfield and not necessarily passing through it, but progressing to the final third sort of immediately through uh, the physical ability of someone like Marwan Fellaini is definitely an advantage, especially if you're playing a smaller forward. But um, one thing I will say, like you said, a lot of people saying they parked the bus and though, you know, United's tactics going into the game and, and sort of throughout the game were largely defensive. Like you said, I think really the the strategy employed 
look to it, it matches up well with one of the principles of Mourinho's sort of I guess coaching philosophy which is try to create a situation where the opposition will make the greatest amount of mistakes and that's really what they did they forced them to hold the ball sort of in a central midfield area and once they had that in that very you know exploitable area when you have so many players forward and you're sort of in that transition phase between the the sort of second third of the field and the final third of the field grabbing the ball then is the best area to counter and I think that went well with Jose Mourinho's formation um one thing that I think influenced the game massively as well was the way that uh, Manchester United got their goals you know the Pogba deflection was very uh kind to him and and also the the header or not the header but the the set piece goal was was one that maybe wasn't crafted completely out of design. And, and that really played into Manchester United's hands. You know, from there, they didn't really have to worry whether they were going forward enough because they had a two-goal cushion. So, you know, like you said, it got the job done, and, and that's that's the way Jose Mourinho is pretty much always going to play. You see, Nico, if you looked into the stats and, and delved a little bit deeper, Paul Pogba pretty much needed some luck on his side. You know, only Kevin De Bruyne has hit the woodwork more than Paul Pogba. So maybe Kevin De Bruyne will get some more luck next season. Paul Pogba will get some more luck. You know, that type of goal was, it was scrappy, like you mentioned. It did, like, completely change the outcome, the you know, the, the phase of the game, the situation it was at. But I think it was just one of these things where Paul Pogba kind of deserved a little bit of a, a deflection after, you know, hitting the woodwork so many times and having, you know, so many one-on-ones saved. It kind of like, I just felt it was right. It felt right. And Paul Pogba... In the heart of this Manchester United team, that's where United really move on. That's where United become this Mourinho team and they move away from the Louis van Gaal era. You've got a player that can play every single type of pass, that is a modern midfielder, can carry the ball through central midfield. I'm just excited to see him next year. I think hopefully he'll start to step up and be the, the hub of this United team with Zlatan potentially not signing on to a new deal and so forth. But it's just very exciting stuff. Both Manchester clubs, of course, um, are going to be so dominant next season. Which moves on to transfers. Um, there's been some transfers going on. The big one, uh, of course, that's been signed, sealed and delivered. That's Bernardo Silva to Manchester City. I am just gutted. I'm about as gutted when David Silva joined Man City and, and then Stefan Jovetic joined Manchester City and I was like, the City's just going to buy all my favourite players in world European football and now they've just bought Bernardo Silva, so now I'm going to have to hate him. Nico, are you a happy man? Yeah, I'm a very a very happy man. I would say that uh, he's an excellent, excellent player and, and I'm definitely going to elaborate on the thoughts of how he would sort of fit into Pep Guardiola's current incarnation uh, or maybe future incarnations of, of sort of tactical explorations next season, uh, perhaps on a video uh, sometime soon here. But yeah, I think um, comparisons to David Silva are going to be standard, but at the same time, he's a very different player. Um, so definitely excited to see how he sort of fits in, maybe a little bit wider, maybe in in sort of a deeper midfield role, connecting the, the back to the front and then sort of drifting in between there. It's definitely going to be interesting to see how he progresses on, under Guardiola because I think he's a fantastic player. It's an interesting one. He could even be a false nine. You know, he played uh, at the tip of a diamond for the Portuguese under-21 side, um, a tournament that I loved so much, and I'm going to be loving the the tournament that's going to be coming up very soon. But Silva was so good. The guile and the ability. And I think I think the game against Manchester City was probably when Pep Guardiola thought, we've got to get this guy. You know, no matter who we've got, we've already got um, Jesus, we've got Sane, we've got Sterling, we've got uh, Aguero. We need to get this guy in because... He's got it all. You know, that game against Manchester City away, the 5-3, you know, one of the best games of the, the, the football season. It was just so good. He was so good at beating Manchester City in the dribble. And I think that's something that Pep Guardiola looks at. You know, can my wingers take their man on 1v1? Are they going to get the beating of them? And that's something that Silva can do, but also he, he's got a cracking shot on him. Um, you know, he can pass. He's got everything. 
Um, the only thing that he'd say he doesn't have is, is physical strength, but he doesn't need that because of his agility. I'm just very, very jealous uh, that you have a young star at Manchester City next season, and Man United could have gone in. Into other transfer news, Ivan Perisic has been heavily linked with the move to Manchester United over this weekend. Watched Perisic and Inter Milan quite a few times this season. He's a little bit of a hot and cold player. Nico, that's sort of the impression you got from watching him, right? Yeah, I don't. It's really the first I'm hearing of this, and and something that I don't know if that would make a ton of sense in the way that Manchester United currently play. But I think you know, just immediately thoughts thoughts that come to my mind. I think uh, maybe if Jose Mourinho were to sort of revert back to that traditional Jose Mourinho Inter Milan four two three one formation, where he had very defensively contributing uh, winger sort of forward players, then maybe even Perisic could fit in somewhere on the left hand side. Don't you think? Yeah, I think well, uh, from watching the game at the weekend and watching him a few times, there's been times where I've really impressed by his movement, his ability on the ball, and there's been times where it hasn't. It was very, very impressive against Udinese at the weekend. Arguably could have got a hat-trick assist, got two assists and scored a goal. Um, there'll be a video going off on my channel potentially tomorrow morning about Perisic's move to Manchester United, but he really could be there on that le- on the, the left wing. He's sort of He's becoming more of a winger. He's such a weird player. He's like a winger that stays wide in some situations, but then he also joins and becomes a second striker in other other positions. So it could work really well for United. You know the the failings United have had at attacking midfield this season. You know no one really getting going. Not not enough minutes by Mourinho. It's something but do, Mourinho but do you not out. as 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 United do you not already have? I mean, is this giving up on Anthony Martial or because I think you have players in sort of the majority of those positions, you know, sort of central central attacking midfield, Paul Pogba maybe in a deeper midfield role and then someone like Martial on the left, right? This is I think this is a good question what Mourinho's doing with Anthony Martial. I agree I'd like Martial to play week in week out. I think when Martial gets a run in the team, that's when he starts to play well. He needs to have a game of 3 to 4 games and he'll give you these performances, you know, the season of the Louis van Gaal, top scorer for United, uh, hatful of assists as well. This season as well, he's the joint assister for Man United and he's played, I think, south of 1,500 minutes in the Premier League. So it's one of these things where Mourinho needs to get switched on with who he's using. If he signs even Perisic, he needs to give Perisic lots of minutes because then he's going to get a Perisic that will be producing, not every week, but uh, the, he'll have a spell of three to four games where he'll be absolutely dominant then he'll go off, off a little bit. And then I think you need that. But also Anthony Martial, maybe he's a striker. Maybe that's where Mourinho's seeing him as. You know, United need to replace Latan. They've already got Rashford and they've got Martial. There's two players there that could share that number nine jersey for the season. You're thinking if they're going to get to the Champions League final, they're going to play 50-plus games. So they need the squad. They need depth. So with Perisic coming in, it's sort of like a replacement for Memphis Depay for me and a replacement that's going to give you a better uh, end product in a way. 28 years old now, Perisic is coming into the peak of his career. United will have him for two years, maybe three years, and then they'll move him on. But I think it's kind of this thing where Martial is the future, but giving Martial some competition could make Martial into a better player. Similar to Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw needs a direct opponent that's going to take that jersey off him. Someone like a Mendy. So he has to really come back into it. So I, th- I understand the concerns by United fans that Martial should be getting the game time um, with Perisic. But there could be some other thoughts about where Martial's going to play. That's the only thing I'd say for Manchester United fans. But I think it's going to be a good signing if it, if it comes off as well. Inter Milan have got some pretty bad financial fair play problems where they need to generate around 30 to 35 million euros by the first. Uh, 30th of June or they're going to get fines they're going to get um, potentially salary cap they're going to get a restriction on how big their squad is and then the Sun and group coming in they want to spend their cash so there's a lot of interesting backstories to this Perisic thing and Perisic has been watched by Mourinho on two occasions one with Croatia and then one at Inter Milan as well so it's not one of these things where it's massively out of the blue it seems like Mourinho understands the situation in the Milan and is exploiting it a little bit in classic that's, Mar- that's something that I think also um, 
really was a weird one for me considering how good Kovacic was at Inter Milan and they they sold him when when he right right when it seemed like they could maybe hold on to him for another year and then really really take advantage of that transfer market potential I mean the the financial fair play issues taking you know taking shape in these new teams like AC Milan Inter Milan that they're going to have a, a flush of cash right now but they need to make up those numbers in the books is going to be an interesting one and definitely players to watch within that there's only one reason why they sold Kovacic and there's going to be one reason why they're selling uh, Perisic as well, Icardi. That's it. That's the only reason because, you know, they've got saleable, they, they're selling their saleable assets to keep Icardi because obviously Icardi, you know, what... Why would, you wanna, why would you want to keep Icardi though? For me, why not just cash in on him? Because he surely wants to leave at some point or you're going to have to pay him not numbers that you ever should see right now in Serie A considering the wage competitiveness there. So I would just... I would have sold. I would tell him this summer and get because he he could go for a hundred, right? They've got that money. The Sunning Group um, are looked into the Sunning Group. So basically, the Sunning Group um, own a non-government retailer in China, mm-hmm. and they make yeah. so much money. So basically, Inter have got that money now, so they could give Icardi that contract. Icardi has got the potential to be the best striker in the world. Like, but surely, they're not going to match his. They're not going to match his ambush, ambitions but, soon but, enough because. The same time he wants to play the, the Champions group League consistently. You know, the Sunning Group want to be the, the competitors for Juventus. So it's a real interesting situation, and I quite like your opinion. Maybe Icardi should have been sold. They should have kept Perisic and Kovacic. You know, you never know. Two ways to uh, butter a piece of bread, as they say, Nico, in um, Scunthorpe these days. Scunthorpe, nice. Never been there. <laughs> don't go, Mike, don't go. It's not worth it. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to the cup finals, do a roundup around Europe. Let's talk FA Cup, the Pukul Cup, the French Cup, and of course the Spanish Cup. First up, the FA Cup final, Arsenal 2, Chelsea 1, an offside goal, Nico, a um, Diego Costa special holding off a number of defenders and then Ramsey winning it for them. Tactically, you were pretty impressed by Wenger's Arsenal, though. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, this is, you know, one of those cases cases and other times where everybody wrote off Arsenal coming into the game, you know, considering how che- how good Chelsea have been throughout the season. It, it wasn't the craziest idea, but I think um, like I alluded to on maybe this podcast and, and maybe one other, uh, it wasn't ever for me, at least a, a foregone conclusion that, that Chelsea were going to win this one. I think Arsene Wenger still has a few tricks up his sleeve and he knows how to, you know, opposition scout, essentially. He knows where the weaknesses are and sometimes he can do very well to exploit those or go with an idea that won't necessarily work and this time it it seemed to work because for me as I watched the game within the first 10-15 minutes Arsenal were really rocking and they were really starting to you know put moves together and that really materialized around the the 20th 20th or 30 minute um, where I think they had already scored obviously but they were really putting some high fidelity shots on target Um, and part of that was down to the fact that they had structured their build up to be lopsided sort of on the right hand side so it was a little bit more advanced where Oxlade-Chamberlain was on the on the left and that drew Victor Moses out to be a little bit more aggressive Um, and then once he he would come out of position then Oxlade-Chamberlain would be behind that and he'd be able to exploit that space so um, it was interesting to see how they progressed the ball through sort of the three-thirds of the field very quickly and very well you know using that lopsided buildup as I mentioned it was a sort of Christmas tree formation with a three base um, and that also Denny Welbeck for you know how dissimilar he is to Oliver Giroud did very well to, to hold up the ball at certain times so that Arsenal could bypass that midfield and that's really the key here is that a lot of people are saying N'Golo Kante went missing at the weekend when in reality you know he didn't have the greatest of games but we also have to look at the sort of surrounding is that he was 
overloaded in that midfield area because that's one thing that I think a lot of people forget about the 3-4-3 is that it, it is essentially only two central midfielders in Golokante and Nemanja Matic in this case. And so when Arsenal went direct, those two midfielders were taken out of the game. When Arsenal were in possession and trying to gr- progress it you know, with possession, he was still outnumbered because there was essentially four midfielders. Alexis Sanchez, who was a little bit more central, central. Uh, Mesut Ozil, uh, Granit Xhaka, and and uh, Aaron Ramsey, sorry. Um, so he was outnumbered, and so it was very difficult for him and Matic to do their jobs, and that's part of the reason why they had so much success. Another thing that I will touch on is that, you know, Antonio Conte didn't really have an answer to this. Once they were put 1-0 down, they couldn't really enact their nor- their normal sort of gameplay strategy of, of trying to win the ball in, in advantageous areas and then counter upon it, give it give it to Hazard, and they didn't create that much themselves. Um, so it was interesting to see, and and specifically, Arsenal were drawing them so far out of their pressing actions with how deep they were building it up, and at times it seemed like the Chelsea players didn't even know when to press, and Antonio Conte was sort of telling them to go. And for me. If you're a coach that has to tell your team when to press and they can't notice those situations, whether it be through a, a positioning or whether a certain player has it or, or sort of the, the situational um, circumstances around that, then you haven't done your job well enough. So I think there's definitely exploitable things within Antonio Conte's philosophy and something that I'm glad uh, someone like Arsene Wenger was able to expose. And that is the problem. The adaptability of Chelsea is going to be something that they're going to have to work on next season to retain the Premier League title. Of course, we've talked about the central space to exploit the two central midfielders. So it's interesting that Wenger's doing it and, and maybe many managers will copy that next season. Maybe Conte needs to come out with a new system. But moving on to the German Cup final that was won by Borussia Dortmund 2, Eintracht Frankfurt 1, with Dembele and Abemiang absolutely starring and being a little bit too much um, for Frankfurt. They've done very well this season, you know, excelling in the Bundesliga after being promoted. Moving over to Spain as well, Barcelona beat Alves uh, three goals to one um, in a game that was Luis Enrique's last as manager. You know, it's been a fantastic uh, time that he's been there, but I think it's time for a new manager and Valdeverdi coming in is going to do a cracking job. And to finish things off in France, PSG beat Angers one goal to nil with a late own goal, winning it for the Paris club. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Club. Right, now on to the last part of the show, and that is we're going to talk the Premier League player of the season, team of the season, coach of the season, and the most underrated player so far. Kick us off, Nico, with your player of the season. We're going to talk Premier League, but we're going to do it in all competitions. So the impact in the Europa League, the FA Cup, the League Cup, the Champions League, and of course, that Prem. So, Nico, who's your man? It's a difficult one. Um, I would say a lot of players have done well, but none have necessarily impressed me to... You know, to really deserve blow out of the water the competition of the player of the year. But I think it has to be a Chelsea player, and I think it has to be Aspilicueta. I'm going to go Aspilicueta player of the season. So, Nico, well done, mate. You've picked the most hipster player of the season so far, and I couldn't agree with you more. No, I'm joking. He's been good, though. I think he's been one of the best defenders in terms of um, you know ball-playing-wise, completing more passes than any other Premier League defender. He's been absolutely awesome. I do think his impact on the side is uh, really underrated and will be under, will be rated next season. I think his ability to bring the ball out and attack that space in between uh, midfield and the sort of the defence of his team to sort of overload that area um, and become almost a, a deep-line playmaker. But I've got to give it to Eden. And Hazard, I think he's been head and shoulders above everybody else in terms of the Premier League this season. Just in terms of carrying Chelsea to the title, his, his impact has been huge. When Eden Hazard shows up for Chelsea as a playmaker, Chelsea win. Nico, can you argue with that? I can't. He's he's been excellent, like you said. He's he's got some. Uh, he he has some obvious, obviously great qualities, but I wouldn't you know call him player of the season. He's got the, the thing about Aspilicueta is that his weaknesses. Um, are sort of within his his things that he can't fix. You know, he has physical traits that is something that someone like Tottenham looked to exploit because they they sent aerial balls between the center backs once they were pulled out of position, and he he simply can't compete with someone like Deli Alley or Harry Kane for those um, sort of physical duels. It's just never going to happen. A player of his stature isn't going to do that. But the the fallacies within Aiden Hazard's game, to some extent, I, I think with a good enough coach, are definitely fixable, and it's something that. Yet we still have not seen him try to fix even, um, let alone come any farther than he was maybe a season or two ago, which is his off-ball movement. And and for as good as Aiden Hazard is and maybe as traditionally impressive as someone like Aiden Hazard is, considering his driven, drilling ability and his ability to take on a lot of players and he's very quick and sort of muscular short player – he still hasn't improved in that department. So although he's been fantastic and sort of been the, the offensive talisman for this Chelsea team, I think we're going to see a lot of teams, both in England and abroad, exploit that next season. Mm, I agree. He's an exploitable character. What about Harry Kane? Maybe Premier League top scorer, 29 goals in the league this season, hat-tricks galore, goals galore, carrying Tottenham, but not quite to the Premier League title. I think that's the only thing that would pull me away from choosing Harry Kane. I always feel that the prey of the season has got to be part of the a Premier, League, Premier League winning side, right? Yeah, it's not all about trophies, Dave, as I've tried to tell you about a million times. But yeah, I would, I would, if I, if, if Aspilicueta, I, I like to give it to defenders because I don't think they're recognized enough. And a small part of me, though nobody gives a shit about who I give my imaginary trophies to, um, a small part of me likes to think that it makes up for, makes up for it in the grand scheme of things, at least to some extent. But Harry Kane, you know, he, he's definitely, 
He's definitely up there. He's, he's fantastic. I think even when he's not scoring goals, sort of the beginning periods of the season, you, you look at his technique and the way that he strikes the ball. He obviously has a very concrete understanding of what he's doing. It's not just luck. That's that's the thing about a lot of strikers is that certain systems, certain situations, certain circumstances in their life, in their league, whatever, can put them in favorable situations like Bastos. If you, or maybe Bastos is a bad example because he's actually doing pretty well now. But there have been strikers that have scored, you know, 20 plus plus goals in a season and then you know they drop off massively and people wonder where they go and I think someone like Harry Kane that even though he may not necessarily reach a, such a fantastic goal tally as he did this this season maybe he'll, he'll go past it maybe he'll go below it but he's still such a big asset to this Tottenham team considering his physicality in the press his, his passing ability all the things that he's able to do I think he can fit in a multitude of systems and I'm really excited to see where he goes um, both as a player uh, whether he stays at Tottenham and then also for England at the international level. I think he's a he's an excellent, talented player and, and one with an excellent attitude as well. Mm, great attitude, great technique, great... He just looks, seems like a great guy, doesn't seem to be getting himself on the wrong side of the press. So let's move on to our team of the season before we touch on our underrated player of the season and, of course, uh, the coach of the season. So, of course, uh, Harry Kane is going to be our striker, 29 goals in the Premier League. He's been absolutely lethal in those last two games of the season. He was an absolute joke. Just scoring goals for fun, goal after goal after goal. I think Eden Hazard goes in there at left wing. We're gonna go. We're gonna go from front to back this time. We're gonna go for an untraditional look. Um, the three-four-three's got to be the system, as it is Conte's system that won the Premier League. So Eden Hazard on that left wing. The first discussion point we have is on the right wing between our two teams. Nico, you've gone with Liverpool's Sadio Mane. I've gone with Christian Eriksen. So obviously, you chose. Erickson, who's been fantastic and definitely gone from sort of central positions to drifting out left and drifting out right. So he's definitely been um, excellent in, in that portion of the field this season. But you can't really lie with how good someone like Sadio Mane is in the press. His, he's, he sort of catalyzes it, and he does that very well for Liverpool. And we've seen, though not all of their issues are necessarily down to that, and uh, sort of their issues offensively and even defensively um, are down to, to the absence of someone like Sadio Mane. But I think it, we, we've really seen how much he's been able to elevate his game under someone like Klopp, you know, going from Southampton where he was relatively inconsistent, it looked like he had some attitude problems, to this season where every time he's been even remotely healthy, healthy and, and been able to be on the field, he's made such a difference for Liverpool. And I think that's what's important to see is that he, he can be a traditional winger and take on players through uh, sort of speed and, and pace and all those things. And then he can also be a goal threat, you know, cutting through on goal, that, that brilliant uh, goal against Tottenham with the ball uh, over the top to, to beat Yuris and, and stuff like that. So he's a fantastic player, and I think he'll, he's someone that will continue to elevate his level um, as the years go on, and I think he has a very bright future. Unfortunately, Nico, you've just um, one fact there absolutely swung the, the debate, and that is the, the pressing fact. I understand he does put a lot in the press for Liverpool in terms of the, the start of the press, but someone like Christian Eriksen that came to Spurs as a bit of a flair player is covered more distance per game than any other player in the Premier League this season. Christian Eriksen, as well as creating the most chances, 111 chances, 15 assists, 96 key passes, and a whole host of goals as well. So for me, unfortunately, you're going to be overruled here, and it's Christian Eriksen that goes in at right midfield. Let's move on to our four-man midfield then. Um, I think we have uh, come to some agreements in terms of the, the, the wing-backs, um, both going with Antonio Valencia on that right-hand side and Alonso on the left-hand side. I think we're both in agreement as well that the Tottenham uh, wing-backs, both Carl Walker and Danny Rose, would have been in there if they were fit for the season, right? 
Yeah, both excellent players, physical specimens, able to cover cover that flank area very well, and also some good delivery. So I think you know the the, the wingbacks that have been excellent this season and the systems that they've been excellent um, have obviously shown by by league position. And it's the two best teams. You know they have some great players. You know, and also Manchester United as well. Antonio Valencia has done an excellent excellent job, sort of converting into not only a right back sort of role under Louis Van Gaal and also a right wing back, and and especially now. Um, sort of a, a really uh, accentuated right back that really does like to get forward. And being so old, you know, he's done he's done so in, in sort of the twilight of his career. Yeah, it's a, it's a great transformation. And he's looking fitter than ever. He's looking hungrier than ever. And I think he's really evolving his defensive game. That was a big thing that I thought under Mourinho needed to be sorted if he was going to sort of succeed at right wing back. And he's 100% done that all right back in United's 4-2-3-1. Into central midfield, Kante was the star of the first half of the season. His form's dropped off a little bit in recent weeks. So for my my two, I'm going to go with Ander Herrera and then Philip Coutinho. You like that, Nico? You like that? No, I do not no. like that. I think a player that... Had a, I think it was 11 assists that he was sitting on for two months that you've ex- completely excluded from your team for from for some unforeseen reason. Though I think it's blatant, you know your your allegiance to Manchester United. Kevin De Bruyne, um, how fantastic he was in, in sort of the beginning and early iterations of Pep Guardiola's offensive system, and then forced to to be a little bit deeper, be less of a free eight with David Silva um, because of the injuries to Ilkay Gundogan. I think if Ilkay Gundogan or, or a deeper mid, a better deeper midfielder had been fit or able to play in that role um, earlier in the season, then we would have seen Kevin De Bruyne break an assist record because of how central he is to this Manchester City team. So not only that, but his his ability to go from being such an offensive uh, key and then doing so well in sort of a central shuttling role and then going back to that sort of at the end of the season, it shows his his flexibility. And for a player that isn't athletically gifted, you know, he's not the quickest. He doesn't have the most athletic body type. He's a player that has put himself in the debate of some of the greatest players in the world, and he's not gifted athletically. So Kevin De Bruyne has to be in the team of the year, Dave. So with Kevin De Bruyne, <sighs> my Coutinho argument probably is at a bit of a loss because he's only just started to play central midfield in the last few games. He's just been so important for Liverpool, their, their joint top scorer in the Premier League um, and also grabbing the most assists for Liverpool, I do believe. But he was injured at the middle of the season, so unfortunately my injury record thing is going to go against him and unfortunately it's going to be having to given to Kevin De Bruyne. But Kevin De Bruyne and Herrera or Kevin De Bruyne Conte. Nico, who do you Herrera has been excellent and it's no... Secret. Would you say the most underrated player in the Premier League, Nico? Mm, that's a tough one. He's very good. I think he's definitely, I guess if we're going to use the, the words underrated, I think those these sort of terms are tossed around too too lightly. But um, he, he definitely took his work rate, his ethic, his understanding of the game from really learning that under Marcelo Bielsa at Bilbao. Um, and translating it so well to, to the current iteration of Manchester United and, and is very important to the side as to how they compete in central midfield areas. But at the same time, I think N'Golo Conte does a very good job of that. It, it's difficult to differentiate between, not necessarily differentiate between the two, but decide between the two. So I don't know. This is this one's a toss-up. What do you, what do you reckon, Dave? I think I'm going to give it to Ander Herrera, not just his performance what a in surprise. the Premier League. I'm going to also say the Europa League, Ander Herrera, has been absolutely boss. In the final, I thought he did a great job. It's someone, a player that hasn't really been spoke about. 
in the final but held in front of the back four so well with United having to pressurise Ajax with um, you know with Fellaini being the, the 10 in a way Pogba being the 8 Hander did so well at covering that back four and blocking the ball off to Dolberg which is a little bit underrated in terms of that final so Ander Herrera and uh, Kevin De Bruyne are going to be our midfield two and then in terms of the back three I've gone with all Chelsea and Lloris in goal you've gone Lloris in goal and then your back three of Aspilicueta Toby Arvilleld and of course Eric Bailly I quite like that I like Aspilicueta there I like Toby in there and Bailly as well I think he's had a fantastic season so I'm going to agree with you Nico there on the back three um, and let's finish but, but you can't just you can't just gloss over the fact folks we, we can't forget um, that Dave has put Gary Cahill yeah. into his team of the season back so three. let him know what you think about that at Statman yeah, Dave at on me. Twitter at me bro at me and to finish things off of course we're going to go for coach of the year Nico you're going with Pep Guardiola right? no I'm not going with Pep Guardiola he's been good but I mean he hasn't achieved his goals and I think he knows that um, Pochettino's been excellent can't hide that so I think Pochettino is definitely my shout but of course you're going with the bias option of, of Jose Mourinho I am right? going with the bias option the manager who won the most trophies this season in the Premier League and that oh wow Mourinho. You've so you've won a community shield uh, an undeserved EFL Cup final Correct. and then a Europa League against a bunch of kids that were going to have exams the next day Correct. and in fact uh, United really? played more games than any other Premier League side 64 in fact and still got into the Champions League and that is why Mourinho is manager of the season on the Sat Monday Football Podcast, and Nico and uh, Dave. Dave, Ward, if you lose, if if you guys lose, <laughs> if you got, if, let me ask you something: if you lose the Europa League final, what, what is, is he not manager of the season? Oh, it's Pochettino then, isn't it? <laughs> you can't base that off one game. This is one what it game, is, folks. Nico. Thank one you. Game. It's it's uh, it's going to be Mauricio finals. Pochettino. Football Thank you for listening. About trophies, Nico. Got to remember that it's all about trophies. But anyway, guys, that's been that for the Statman Day Football Podcast today. Thanks again for Nico for joining me once again. What a hero! Go and follow him on Twitter, Nico underscore Omorales. Until tomorrow, where we're going to be talking transfers as always on Tuesdays when I'm not doing loads of things. But anyway, see you later. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 